inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Vibrating violins, unmanned aerial vehicles, and video games. What do they have in common? Turns out Augie Lai, my guest today on Radio Cade. Welcome, Augie. Hey, how's it going? So, Augie, I think I first met you right after you had founded Tonerite, if I remember correctly. Yes. Which I remember being a really cool idea. So why don't we start by you talking about Tonerite, which was, I think, the first of your companies that you founded, if, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And then a little bit about the technologies that you've worked on since then. Yes. So all my life, I was a musician. I started my musical studies at five, played the violin all my life. And pursuit of the perfect tone in your instrument that I was obsessed about. And when you're shopping for a violin, uh, there's a common problem of instruments that haven't opened up yet, especially new instruments. They require about 30 or 40 years of being played on constantly for them to open up. That's one reason Strad's sound so good. They've been played on for hundreds of years, and that constant being played on improves the sound. So how it all started was I was still in college, and I bought this new cello. I could tell this cello is a good cello, but it, it was closed up. It needed to be played on for the next few years before it really could really start sounding good, and I didn't want to wait that long. So I was playing around with electronics. At that time, I was studying electrical engineering, and I put together this little device that would play the instrument overnight while I was sleeping. So I invented this little contraption, and I put it on the instrument, and I left it on overnight, and I did this for about a month. And then a month later, I brought the cello back to the maker, and the maker was just like, what did you do to this thing? This doesn't sound like the cello I sold you. And I went back to my car and pulled out this little electronic contraption, not thinking much of it. It's just a little thing I made for myself. And his next words were, run to the patent office. <laughs> How does it work, Augie? Yes. You want to say contraption? What exactly yes. is it? So it's a device that sits on top of the violin bridge or on top of the strings on a guitar. And it induces subsonic frequencies into the instrument, simulating being played on. And over a course of a week, if you use this every night, it's comparable to about six months of being played on. It's, it's night and day. And this is something you can just plug in and put on the bridge of your instrument overnight and, and leave it. You don't leave have to do it. Anything. And then when you wake up the next morning, you take it off and you play it and it sounds so much better. And is there a particular frequency or tone that you're going for that you have to sort of uh, tweak um, it or adjust yeah, it or is this there, universal? There's a dial which you can modulate the amplitude. But other than that... Pretty much turnkey. Yes, yeah, very turnkey. It's very easy. Wow. So we'll talk a little bit about how you had the skill set to figure this out, because you're also an electrical engineer. But before that, there are at least a couple of other technologies you've worked on since Tonerite that if you could just explain what's going on there. I think computer vision processing and something to do with UAVs. So the first startup I joined, not as a founder, but I was employee number one, was a UAV company. And we were the first company that built a plane that could see a tree and fly around it. Wow. This was back in 2006 before UAVs became hot. 
And um, I was the computer vision scientist that came up with the algorithm that could do this. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then recently also in a the AI space mm-hmm. you've been working on. It's kind of a crowded space yeah, now. Yeah, right? it's so a what, hot what, market. Yeah, it's like, a hot market. Like 10 years ago, no one knew, no one knew what deep AI learning. Was. There wasn't the word deep learning. All these words weren't even invented yet. Right. Now all you have to do to sound sophisticated cocktail parties is drop AI yeah, into yeah, every other all, sentence. Yeah, <laughs> all of a sudden you're popular. So my latest company is Charlotte AI. We came up with a bunch of optimization tools for Facebook marketing. In particular, we have a feature called Comment Control, and it'll read through all your Facebook pages and ads and see all the negative comments, jot them down, analyze them, and then if they're bad, bullying, negative, toxic, it'll automatically hide them. Wow. Is this meant for like a business or an organization Um, that has a Facebook page or could it be an individual? Even parents that want to monitor their children's Facebook pages, make sure there's no bullying going on or anything like this. My question is, the internet, where on earth are you going to find negative comments? I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> it's a wasteland. It's nothing but yeah, a yeah. civic discussion here. I'm trying to clean things up. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk later on a little bit more of the business angle of each one of these technologies. But before we do that, let's talk about you a little bit. Go back to pre-academia even. And what did your parents do for a living? Where were you born? What were you like as a kid? That sort of stuff. Yes. My mom is from Korea. And my dad's actually a refugee from Burma. Burma, Myanmar, Mm -hmm. has an interesting past. He was a Burmese, but ethnically Chinese. Mm -hmm. And in the 50s and 60s, they kicked out all their Chinese, basically ethnically cleansed them all. So my dad came to America, studied very hard, became a doctor. My mom's a nurse, so they they met in New York City. I was born in New York. Ah, okay. Ended up in Florida. (laughs) First time that's ever happened, right? Hmm. So what age were you when you moved to Florida? I was like two. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was very a early. kid. Yeah. Okay, so you basically grew up in Florida. I'm a Florida boy. In Gainesville or elsewhere in Florida? Jacksonville. Jacksonville, okay. Um, I survived Jacksonville. You survived Jacksonville. Yes. So your dad was a doctor. What kind of doctor was he? Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, okay. And what were you like as a student? I'm guessing you were a great student. Many of my teachers thought I had a learning disability. Interesting. Yes. And this was because? This was because I would often just stare in a corner and just think. Elementary school, middle school, and a good portion of my high school. I wasn't a very good student. There's only two things I was good at, mathematics and science. But my fourth grade teacher, she told my parents, I've seen this before. Your kid's a very good kid. Junior, senior year of high school, expect him to blossom. And that's exactly what happened. Like, my parents tell me this now, but yeah. like... They were probably panicking at the yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> they were like, what's wrong with our son? Like, yeah. his sister is so smart, but something's wrong with him. But no, literally, like, if you looked at my GPA prior to junior year of high school, my GPA was like, terrible. It was like, two, five. Then all of a sudden, junior, senior year, I made straight A's and graduated with a 4'6". And, and do you six. remember something clicking all of a sudden? Did it, Yeah, you... like my brain all of a sudden like crystallized. Uh-huh. All the other subjects started making sense. Right. So you were strong in math and sciences. And where did you go to school? I went to University of Florida. University of Florida, okay. And did you know right away you wanted to go into engineering or did you consider no, I, other... I initially went into music. Uh-huh. Cool. I, I went into violin performance major my freshman year. So clearly you were good at other things than math and science when you were a kid. Yeah, when, no, I, I, when I'll, did you start playing music? Oh, you already yeah, said I five, started at right? five. So five, all okay. my life up until like 22, I wanted to be a musician. That was like my obsession in life was music. Absolute obsession was music. And you started on stringed instruments? Yeah, on, I started on violin. I started on the violin. And then, then graduated to cello or um, at some point? Yeah, I picked up the cello along the, cello the way. Yeah. 
And so were either of your parents a musician? My mom plays a little piano, not professionally, as amateur pianist. So clearly at some point, was it in college that you then started getting into engineering? Or what? how did yeah. that sequence happen? It, what happened was I joined a rock band. I toured for two years. And then when that didn't work out, I was like, screw music, I got to do something else. <laughs> and I always loved mathematics. So engineering was just uh-huh. right there. So you started out as a freshman mm-hmm. music major. And then what, by next year or a couple of years later, you... Switch it over. Engineering? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. But you still continue to play music, right? You didn't yeah. give that up. No, okay. I'm, I'm, I still play. All right. So uh, interesting. Started as a musician, ended up in engineering, and now you continue to do both. And to what extent do you think your musical training shaped your ability to do what you're doing now in the tech field? Absolutely. So there's one thing about music that's very paramount is focus and concentration. If you're performing on stage, you have to have the most intense focus to play perfectly, else it's going to fall apart. Right. So I think that applied very well with engineering, especially with coding. Right. I'm not a musician. I wish I were. But my wife is, my son is. And what has always fascinated me about music, particularly classical musicians, is in the same space, you have to be very disciplined very but very creative. Yes. Or there's a space to be creative yes. within that discipline. Absolutely. So it strikes me that in coding, right, you have yes. something similar. You, you have definite rules Absolutely. that must be obeyed, it's... but yet you've got this wide yeah. space to be creative in. You're absolutely correct. So when you write code, if you wander off certain constructs, you won't even compile. Right. You'll just get error messages. It just won't work. It yeah. just won't work. It's almost all or nothing. <laughs> but within those constraints... You have all the creative in the yeah. world to create and in fact, anything. You, you have to create something new, yeah. right? Because otherwise, what's the point? Okay, let's talk about now the business angle, right? So obviously, you started one business, at least one business, and you've been associated with it some other businesses. Yes. Describe for our listeners the business angle of all this. You've got a great idea or great ideas. You're trying to get them to market. Describe the highs and the lows of that. What has sort of been really pleasant about those experiences and what has not been so pleasant? All my life, I am a complete introvert. That's just my genetics. Starting these companies, one thing I realized very quickly was I had to break out of my shell. I have to meet people. I have to interact with people. I have to build a network so my companies have customers. That was extremely difficult for me to do, but it was completely necessary. You cannot build a business being in a shell. Impossible. Because it's not just investors, it's employees, It's employees, right? <laughs> it's customers, it's investors. So that was extremely difficult for me to do, but a complete necessity. Mm-hmm. Did you seek out business mentors or did people with a business background come alongside and say, hey, Augie, here are the five steps you need to do to set up your business? Or did you have to try to figure this out on your own? I had some good mentors. And that's one of my first suggestions when I meet young entrepreneurs is like find a good network, a good group of people that you can bounce ideas off of. Very important. Right. Let's go back to Tone right now. So you founded that, I think, in 2006. Is that right? More or less? Yeah, around Around 2006. It was sort of like a hobby until... 2008. Okay. And then 2008, I went all in. Serious. Yeah. Okay. So how's it doing now? It's doing business. good. Doing well. We're distribution in 39 countries, wow. sales every month. It's smooth sailing. And how is the word getting out? Is it mostly word of mouth? Or are you having to do a lot of advertising? Um, mostly word of mouth. The little social media. I mean, our best advertisers are our customers. Right. And so your average customer, are they professional musicians? or They're accomplished dis- musicians. Okay. Yeah, and they, and they actually know the difference. So this is not something that some kid who's learned how to play the guitar is probably going to buy or their parents. Yeah, it's something more geared towards higher end. Right. 
And do you find, is it primarily violinists or also... The guitarists. Guitarists yeah, as well. That outsells everything 10 to 1. And is that because they're just more There's guitarists? more of them. There's ah, more of them, yeah. Okay. What is actually happening with the ways? Is it aging the wood in some way or it's conditioning the wood or what is going on physical yeah. level? It's sort of all the above. Right. There's like 12 things going on. The most thing in particular that's going on is a process called de-dampening. And in de-dampening, the violin's comprised of 77 different parts. And as a system settles down, as it ages, if you induce vibrations into them, they'll start vibrating together. You see this in other fields. Metallurgy is a good example. They would often induce vibrations as metal cools down to prevent it from cracking. And the same thing with the violin. After it's made, if you induce vibrations into it, as it's settling down, it starts singing as a chorus. Wow, that's fascinating. One of the things I like best about doing this podcast is I feel a lot smarter after <laughs> I talk to the actual inventors. Okay, so tell me about the other companies that you've been associated with. How are they doing in terms of their growth and business model and so on? So in 2010, I started a video game company. did really well. We made a game called Dungeon Defenders. became a top 10 game. Mm-hmm. We released it on eight platforms, Xbox, PS3, PC, iPhone, Android. And we grew that company to about 125 people. And then in 2012, we sold the company. What kind of transition was that from the world of music and engineering into video games? Completely different. Completely different. Absolutely completely different. (laughs) But I presume you had an interest in video games as a kid? Yeah, well, it's software. Software, okay. If it's software, I'll I'll be interested in it. Is that sort of a very niche market in terms of the, the type of people that play this type of games as opposed to other types of software? It is. So video games is entertainment. Mm -hmm. The entertainment industry is very different. From the little I know about it, it's a very sort of demanding market, right? I think we talked about this a few years ago, and you're telling me that if there's a mistake or something wrong in the game, you hear about it. Oh, yeah. Like instantly. Yeah. (laughs) In no uncertain terms. So you you really have to get those new versions right. Perfect. Or near perfect, or you're going to hear about it immediately. Well, first of all, the business model of video games is the entertainment industry. It's very close business-wise to movies because it's based off blockbusters. One in ten video games will make profit and the rest fail. So from a business model standpoint, it's very difficult. And I imagine there's tons of competition as well. Tons of competition. Right. It's a profession of passion. Right. Many of these video game designers, they do it out of passion. Yeah. And whenever you deal with that, you have a lot of them. Right. And you have to compete against all of them. So for those of our listeners who don't know, we're in Gainesville, Florida, and one of the strengths of Gainesville and the University of Florida in particular is a pretty strong engineering department. So you, you had, I imagine one of the recipes for success in this company is you had a pretty good supply yeah. of coders, yeah. engineers that you could tap yeah. for your company. Yeah, that's the reason I'm here. <laughs> I've stayed here it's because every year 5,000 geniuses walk through those gates right. at the University of Florida. And the cost for a a smart kid in this town is half that of San Francisco. Okay. Gainesville has a competitive advantage in terms of hanging on to that talent. Okay. What about the UAVs? Again, I think we mentioned it's a crowded space. Obviously, a lot of people have developed various models now of drones. Where do you see that going? What kind of applications are we going to see in the next five years? You know, already we know now that photography is great and construction companies love them and farmers love them. What's around the corner that we're going to be seeing UAVs? or Yeah, so I, I think the biggest application for UAVs is actually making them bigger. Really? A lot of the science that went into UAVs 
becoming stable. Mm -hmm. I was in San Juan over the weekend, and there was a UAV over the pool. Someone was filming the pool in this resort, and it, there was, was a constant 30 mile an hour wind, and this thing was lock stable. This was an engineering feat making this thing stable in that wind, gusty wind too. And those same algorithms and techniques applied to something bigger mm -hmm. will revolutionize aerospace. Wow. So that's where I see that technology being applied to controls that made that thing stable. Imagine that into something like a plane. We're going to, in the next 10 years, start seeing some really interesting flying things. They're going to take like, people. Like pilotless planes? Exactly. Okay. And it was all developed from these small UAVs. So it's interesting. I had assumed that the direction of the market would be heading towards smaller, more consumer applications where... Yeah, know, they'll make money. They'll make money. But, but the it big sounds money, like the big money I is going to be, be in, in the larger planes. In platforms. the larger planes, people are willing to pay a nice penny for right. it. And then I guess along with the UAVs, do you need special types of either coding or algorithms to process the video and sound? Or do you even have sound? It's oh, yeah, video, yeah, right? sound. Okay. Is that in any way a technological challenge? The quality of that information that a UAV can pick up versus processing out on the ground, or is that yeah, insignificant? Yeah, you just explained some very tricky things. So vision processing is continuing to improve exponentially right. at this point much research and resources being thrown at it right now. Very soon you, you're going to be able to have basically robots that can sit down, see that this is a water bottle, know that it's a water bottle, and can interact with it. That's around the corner in, in the lab already happening. That's extremely exciting. Very difficult problem. Right. In the field of AI, the first step is what's called situational analysis. Mm -hmm. Basically a robot knowing what kind of situation it's in. Hey, I'm in a room. There's a microphone in front of me. There's a water bottle in front of me. Once we pass that step, which is very close, mm -hmm. if not already happened in the lab, now we can start talking about... What do you want to do with that yeah. stuff? Yeah. So we're at literally the um, inflection point of AI. Wow. Where in the last 30 years, it's been just hardcore research, hardcore research, basically money being thrown in a pit, what's going on, to where like now we can actually make money. Great example of that is Tesla. Mm -hmm. So I just picked up my Tesla yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And it drove me home. Ah, amazing. Of course, it was a 50-mile learning period. Yeah. <laughs> but then after 50 miles, I just turned it on, and I did not have to steer anymore or hit the brake. It just did everything. I was like, this, this is the greatest car that ever drove me. In fact, it was the only car that ever drove me. So, Augie, one more question. Someone like you 10, 20 years ago comes to you and with a similar background, similar interests, and they've got a great idea. And they want to patent their idea and, yeah. and sell it. Now that you've got all this accumulated wisdom, I don't know, if you had to boil it down and say three things that you'd give advice to a younger version of you yes. coming along and having a great idea, what would you tell that person? It's three things. And most things in life can be broken down into three things. So these are my three things that I look for. Number one, be a good person. Always helps. Number two, work hard. Okay. Work hard. Mm -hmm. That's life. Yeah. <laughs> and number three, be smart. Be smart. In that order. And if you stick to that, you will be successful in anything you do. A little bit more complicated than Woody Allen's prescription that 90% of life is just showing up. But uh, <laughs> you got to show up, be good, work hard, and be smart. And that's it. Yeah. Piece yeah. of cake. Yeah. It's easy, right? <laughs> so easy. Augie, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for coming this morning and look forward to seeing your businesses develop and great success and look forward to seeing your Tesla on the street. I'll be sleeping in the back. <laughs> You'll be sleeping in the back. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much, Augie, for coming too. Thank you. Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. 
Liz Gist of the Cade Museum for coordinating inventor interviews, Bob McPeak of Heartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida for recording, editing, and production of the podcasts and music theme, Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song featuring violinist Jacob Lawson, and special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention located in Gainesville, Florida.